In our Bibles, Joshua chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 6, talking about this subject today, the fear of the future. Has anybody read any newspaper articles, seen any TV shows, turn on talk radio, and notice that there's a lot of people who are saying that the future is very uncertain? Yes? Okay. I actually read an article that one in seven people in America today believe that the end of the world is near. Now, we know that when Jesus ascended, he said that he was coming quickly. And God's version of quickly is a little bit different than ours. Amen? But he is coming. And we're going to look at this this text this morning of the life of Joshua and his buddy Caleb out of the Old Testament. The driving thought for this message is when you fear the future... Remember the one who is sovereign over the future. This is just, in a nutshell, an 85-year-old warrior coming to the front of the entire nation, the entire army, saying, I want to take point. Now, getting older is interesting, isn't it? Anybody in the house this morning experienced kind of what happens when you get older? I remember when I was about 6th or 7th grade. Looking at a senior in high school was like you could not get any more mature, any more wise, any cooler than a senior in high school. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like a sixth grade boy sees a senior girl and he's like, hello, beautiful, right? And then when now when I go to a high school game, I look at even, this may offend some of the students, but I look, I look at the football players, I'm like, isn't that cute? Right, like, like, like they just look like all kids. I'm like, that must be a sign that I'm getting older. And I'm going to be, do y'all realize in just a few months, I'm going to be 32 years old. Man, I, you know, and I'm reading my Bible and it talks about planning and things like that. So I, Barry, I decided to just start checking into nursing homes. Maybe I could get an advanced discount. But it's an amazing thing when you get older, is it not? Well, we'll see how that works out. But when you get older, isn't it interesting when your perspective changes? Even among children. Like when we had VBS last year, I asked some of our fifth and sixth grade guys. I was like, guys, I need y'all to help me out. Can y'all help me keep an eye on these little kids? And man, like, oh yeah, we got it. We got you covered, Pastor Jeff. Right? Like that, that was authority and that was responsibility for those guys. And then if you've ever talked to a, to a first grader and they say, I'm this many, and they show you that full five fingers and they throw up a couple more, or if they've you know, had some trouble, throw up, up more, and then, then they're there. And, and, and then you talk to them about those little kindergartners, right? Kindergartners are little kids. And then you talk to the kindergartners and it's like, yeah. It's hard being in kindergarten when you have to hang out with all those preschoolers, right? And then some of you say, Jeff, you're just so, you're just like a kid. You're just a young whippersnapper. But this story for years, when I heard it as a kid, it kind of stuck. And what I hope that the Lord can do this morning is help us not to fall into the trap when most people study the Old Testament. Here's what it is. When they look at a story like Caleb, the preaching goes like this. Caleb did these mighty exploits for God, and you are Caleb now. God can help you like He did Caleb. And in a certain sense, that is true. 
But the point of the story of Caleb is not so that we can be victorious and courageous like him. The point of the story of Caleb is that he is a small mirror of what Jesus is. All of the great things that Caleb did, when Jesus came, Jesus showed that he is the greater Caleb. Does that make sense? David, the amazing warrior that he was. When Jesus came, Jesus says, Goliath, what Goliath? That is nothing. Jesus came and conquered death. We think of Moses, the great lawgiver out of the Old Testament. Well, when Jesus came, he explained what the law was, and he did what even Moses couldn't do, and Jesus fulfilled the law. We think of, uh, of heroes like Noah, right? When you look at those little kids' pictures of Noah and the ark, and you've got all the you know giraffe sticking its head out of the hole, and everybody's happy, and that's not the way that it was. It was like everybody's dying, but us inside. The picture of that is that Jesus is the ark. Jesus is not some boat, but like Noah being saved in the ark is a picture of Jesus who would come, and if we are in Him, if we have put our faith in Christ, then we are saved from the wrath. Of God. So when we study this story this morning, do not fall into the, I guess we could say the hermeneutical or the interpretational trap of thinking that the point of this is about us. The point of it is about Jesus and what he did and what he can do in us now. Do you see the difference? Because if we don't read the Bible seeing Jesus there, we're always going to be looking for ourselves when the point is Jesus. Through us. So we're going to begin there in verse 6, and we've got five divisions. I'm going to give you five application points today. And what we're going to look at is keys to remaining faithful when facing an uncertain future. And the first key is found in verse number 7 it is to remain patient. I want you to commit to say, I refuse to put God on my timetable. Here's what the text says. We'll begin in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite came to him and said, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, which was the desert, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. There's just a little background right here. Remember Joshua and Caleb? They were two out of the 12 spies that went in to spy out the promised land. If you're taking notes, write down the book of Numbers, chapter 13, which, guys, a great biblical pickup line when you meet a godly woman is say, you know, I was reading the book of Numbers the other day. I think I heard this from one of the youth last week, and I just realized I didn't have yours. So you can use that. That's biblical. And um, we'll go on to the next point. So in verse number 7, the background here is very simply that he's going back years ago. And I love sitting down to talk to people who have life experience. By the way, students, you're always going to get into trouble when you ask your friends what they think. Why? My friends, they're just as stupid as I am. Y'all okay? Did Pastor Jeff say his friends are stupid? Is he talking about me? Like other 30, 31 year olds, we haven't lived. So what I want to do is talk to men and women who have more experience than I do, right? Like more experience than I do, more wisdom, more years serving Christ. So here's what he does. He goes, he's 85. All right, this is awesome. Okay, so if you are up in years, and I'm never giving an arbitrary definition of the word O-L-D, all right? So he's up in years, he's 85, and here he comes to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, you remember 40 years ago we did, right? Remember that? Okay. Here's what happened. 
He was one of the 12 men, Joshua and then Caleb as well, who were chosen. Now think about this if you're a military type of person. Out of the entire nation of Israel, there were 12 men picked out. Bible scholars say that there were around 2 million Israelites at the time of the Exodus. So you are talking about the Navy SEAL of the Navy SEAL of the Jason Bourne of the Clint Eastwood of the Chuck Norris of the Jackie Chan of the Bruce Lee of the Fred Tudor. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So what you're talking about is the cream of the crop. So here's what happens. They get, they get chosen to go. Fred, I love you, man. I, I, I do. It's, they get chosen, and what they do is they go into the land. And remember, they, they, they were in, in that area, um, and, and they spied it out, and they brought back uh, a cluster. Of, they, they brought back fruit and, and grapes, and there were, there were so many. I don't know how big they were, but it said the grapes were like pomegranates, like huge grapes. Like, think of picking up an apple, and then thinking of picking up a grape. The same size. Now, that would be awesome when they get, if you need to throw them out and they're going rotten. What a great, great fight that would take, right? Like you can knock people out with a grape. So they, they had to cut one down and they carried on a pole between two of their men. That was how rich the country was. The Bible says it was a land flowing of milk and honey. So here they come back. Joshua and Caleb are like, man, God, wait, hold on. God told us that this was our land. So why did he tell us to go spy it and see if it was good? It's because every time God gives us a promise, he wants us to act in faith on that promise. The fact of those 12 spies going out was a test on where their hearts were and where the hearts of the nation were. So they come back and Joshua and Caleb are ready to give this report. And then all of a sudden, the sting of betrayal hits. The other 10 guys... What does he say in verse number 8? He says, But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Here they are. They're so fired up about what God's doing. And then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under them. And the people believe the majority. That should tell us Christians that even if you're in the minority, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Because often the majority is wrong. Amen? And let me just go a step further. If you and I get serious, serious, radical serious about serving Christ, we will be in the minority. We will be. Even among churches. So they're there. And then it says in the book of Numbers chapter 13 that the congregation was to the point, now check this out, to the point of stoning Joshua and Caleb for telling the people what God already said. You ever get mad at red lights? When somebody doesn't realize in front of you that the light is no longer red? Can we be real? Sunday morning, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, Rocky Mount Virginia. When the light was red, but now thenceforth it has turneth to green. And they have waited one second, two seconds. Two-second rule, Sunday school lesson. Three-second rule, out the window. Four-second rule, Sunday sermon. Five-second rule, then you just go crazy. And you lay on the horn, and then when you pass them, you say, see the sign on your bumper sticker? It says, smile, God loves you. And they're like, what? Think for a moment 
how irritated we can get. Now, if you don't struggle with that, man, that is great. I can come to you for counseling, alright? You can counsel me. But if you get frustrated when people inconvenience you, and when they cramp your schedule, and when they just come at the wrong time, and they won't be quiet, and they just are irritating, think about this. When he was 40 years old, he was on the edge of something great. It was fearful, but he knew that God would provide. And then his dreams were dashed to the ground. And he was with 40 years with the very people who turned their backs on God and betrayed him. So I'm telling you, the first key to having faith in God for the future is to commit to say, Lord, I will not place you on my timetable. And some of you have gone through incredible suffering. You have endured years, possibly of a bad marriage, of a terrible job, even though any job in today's economy is a good job. Amen, church? All sorts of things. It's easy to put God on our timetable. Caleb did not. Second key is purity in verses 8 and 9 and verse 14. Here's what he says. Yet... And this is contra to what the majority did. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And in verse number 9, he also says, Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. In verse number uh, 14, it says, um, Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb. So here's, here's what happened. He, for all of those years, for the 40 years of wandering in the desert, he remained faithful to God. You say, now hold on, Jeff, does this... I thought that he was 40 when he went as a spy and they spent 40 years in the desert, but now he's 85. What happened with the other five years? This is one of the greatest keys in this passage. Do you realize that Caleb spent five years fighting for the inheritance of his fellow Israelites? The children of the very ones who had betrayed him. Now let that sink in for just a moment. He spent five years, 80 to 85, fighting in a campaign to give inheritance to his enemy's children. The Bible tells us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were still enemies of God in our mind through wicked works, Christ died for us. It speaks of his purity in following the Lord. And here's what what I encourage you to do. To stand up in today's generation, whatever generation you're from, and say, I am committing today to wholly follow the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that you are going to be perfect, but it's coming to that place where you say, I'm not going to waver on the fence. If you walk down the center lane, you'll get hit by both sides. Did you hear about the guy in the, the Civil War? He didn't really want to take sides. He wore Confederate pants and a Yankee jacket and he got shot by both sides, right? That's my cheesy preacher joke for the day. The point is, is that you got to come to the point to where you commit to the Lord. Now, here's the thing too. Imagine being Caleb in those 40 years. You are with the people that betrayed you. You're with the people that wouldn't believe God. And yet you are the only other guy except for Joshua who said, let's go with the Lord. Have you ever felt out of place before? Serving the Lord, like maybe it's, it's those times where you get together with people that you like, but you don't necessarily love. Thanksgiving, Christmas, y'all okay? Alright, like those times, and you know you want to you pray over the meal, you want to so tell them about the Lord, but it's just kind of like people just kind of slough you off, like well, they're, they're the ones who go to that, that church with the, with the crazy new 
preacher and they're the ones who are just like a little bit too radical for me. And you get pushed to the side. You cannot only imagine what Caleb went through in those 40 years, but yet he said, I had committed to becoming a follower of Christ. And I think of the Lord Jesus about how he resisted everything that was trying to pull him down. He resisted the lies of Satan. Remember Satan tried to get him to fall? Not only that, Jesus resisted the pull of false religion. You realize that Jesus, if he had had just toned down his message just a little bit, he would have been the greatest rabbi of the day. He would have been in with the in religious crowd. Not only that, if he had just somehow gotten in political bed with the Romans, he could have had some type of, of rulership. But Jesus pushed away everything that did not direct him to the goal. And Christ in us can spur us to never get to the point to where we back down. Number three, it's a perspective. Number, verse number 10 in chapter 14. The having a perspective on the future. Notice what verse 10 says, the last part of it. He says, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Notice that Caleb says that it's God who's kept me alive. Say, Pastor Jeff, do you believe in fitness? Yes. Do you believe that we should take care of our bodies? Yes. But ultimately, I don't care if you eat every herbal root that you can find. If you do all of the health things, it is God who has kept us alive. And may we never fall into the trap of placing our faith ultimately in doctors, ultimately in our workout schedules. Although most Baptists and workout schedules, those things mix about as well as like oil and water. But when we think about the terms of, uh, of perspective... Perspective is saying that God is in control. So here's the thing. And I've talked to so many people and they're, they're depressed today. They say, Jeff, my health is gone. I can't do what I used to do. I'm out of a job. I've got family problems. Often what happens is we begin to turn our eyes inward instead of focusing upon Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. And if you are in bad health today, if you're to that point, you say, Jeff, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't know if I can do very much. Is God sovereign? Yes. Are you alive? Yes. Does God let anything go that He doesn't have a plan for? No. God has a plan for you, no matter what your health is. And it may just be that when you and I go through those valleys to where we cannot do all that we want to do, it's in those times of weakness that the Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. It's in those times that Jesus was most broken Think on the cross that the most forgiveness was applied to people who would believe in Him. So often, the way we look at it is say, man, he's 85 years old. What can he do for God? He can inspire all the younger people to serve God. Imagine being a young man in that army. You're ready to go another step further in the promised land. All of a sudden, Caleb is there. And he begins to say things like over in verse number 12, So now give me this mountain. Give me this hill country. Stop and think for a minute. For a young man, girls, by the way, men are very, very, very easy to figure out. Okay? Like if a guy, if he drags something home and he shot it, and he's one, just, just say, wow! It's kind of like a dog or a cat. When they bring something home, they're like, don't you like this roadkill that I brought home? And you're like, good dog. And the dog's just going crazy. It's not that difficult. So motivational power, inspiration from another man backed up, like you said, probably heard this before, it's not in the Bible, but it could align somewhat that behind every good man is a what? A 
surprised woman. Amen? Alright? A surprised woman is behind every good man. So, here's the way this this shook down. Alright? 85-year-old guy gets up and he says, Give me this mountain. Now, where were they? They were at Gilgal. Gilgal was a place to where the new generation was circumcised. Gilgal was a place to where they erected stones to serve as a reminder that God hasn't forgotten us. Gilgal was also the place that the whole nation took the Passover. So they're at Gilgal, a little over 30 miles away is where he's talking about Kiriath Arba, which is today called Hebron. So we're talking about, we're in Rocky Mount, and you got this 85-year-old guy gets up in front of everybody and says, Give me Salem! 30 miles or so away. I worked on that for a long time. Right? Okay. What must that have done to the young men to see an 85-year-old man calling everyone to arms, saying, look, I'm not ashamed of my age, and just so you don't have to wonder, I'm 85. And what happened later in the... Well, we don't, we don't want to get ahead of that. But let's go to the next point. I'll break that down in just a second. Another one is power. Now, notice how he says there um, that God has kept him alive. Notice in verse 11. I love this. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. So what? I don't know if they did this, but he could have beaten some of the young men in arm wrestling. Young guys beaten by an 85-year-old guy. The young guys go into counseling. 15 years later, they can come back on the front. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So what he's saying is that it's God who's kept me alive to do God's work. Now think about how it was when they cleared the path to go up to that place called Hebron. This was a mighty walled city. It was filled with people who were very large. They were called the Anakim. And, and he goes up to the city and they're about to take it. Can you imagine what some of, some of the, uh, the Anakim were thinking? When they had the old guy out front. And he he goes up there, you know, probably making jokes about him. But when Caleb charged the hill, he took the hill. And he defeated every single one of the enemy except for several of the people who escaped. And the Bible says that they settled in Gath. Who did David fight? Some guy from Gath? Goliath of Gath, who the Bible says was of the giant. Now, this is a whole other subject for a whole other time, but I just want to pique your interest and that there was a group of people, it's even testified by Josephus, who had very large bodies. They were very large people. And so here you take a man who was of a people group, the Hebrews, who were not very well known for their large size, and he goes up to a large city on top of a large hill filled with large people, and he says, give me this mountain. Do you know what that says? That says that Persistence. Number five, persistence is the key to defeating fear for the future. Um, when I was in Costa Rica several years ago, uh, we went down there for a little surf trip, and uh, we noticed that, that the fence posts were sprouting. There's some type of a tree that they use that even though you cut it down, it'll still sprout. It, it, was, so, it was so amazing. It was like this tree had had its head cut off and it was just sprouting. From the sides. And I thought about that. I said, you know, that should be our life when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though things may happen that may cut us down from time to time, we need to get to the place where we say, Lord, I'm going to continue to serve. I'm going to continue to go. And I will never quit. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20 in verse uh, number 7. Here's what had happened years later. 
Joshua had gone, he had taken the city, and this, in Joshua chapter 20, it's speaking of the cities of refuge. And one of the cities of refuge is Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. You know what the exegetical point, you know what the application, the action point for us is? Is that a fortress that was once a stronghold of wickedness, through the power of God, it was made a city of refuge. That means that our brokenness and our insecurity, that means that the things that we have done in our life that we're ashamed that ever happened, all of that God can use to be a city of refuge for people to see that God can work in our life. And some people, you, you may read this story in Joshua chapter 14, you say, man, Jeff, God could never use me like Joshua because I'm just too normal. Do you know how normal he was? He was normal to the point of saying, I will not even let my age keep me from serving the Lord. And it's, please hear me. Often we think we've got to have that 4,000 IQ. We've got to look like Mr. or Miss America. We've got to have all kinds of money. We've got to know certain things to make a difference for the Lord. Do you realize that our normalness is the very thing that connects us to normal people? And do you realize that the fact that we can't do everything connects us to people who need the Lord to do something in their life? So therefore, what the world needs is to see Christ in your weaknesses. What the world needs to see is to see Christ working through your brokenness because that will give them hope that they can have faith in God and it will work for them too. Um, I've had the, the privilege of coaching a kid's soccer team with Jonathan and uh, eight and nine-year-olds. If you know anything about kids, eight and nine-year-olds, the boys, most of them have not hit their growth spurt, and a few girls have. And we had a game the other week. Some of y'all know where this is going. It's a co-ed, co-ed team. We've got this little little boy on our team, and, and he went up, and there's this girl. I mean, she was, she was tall. She was uh, big-boned. And they went for the ball together, and it was like a Mack truck and a Geo Metro. I mean, he absolutely 100% lost that duel. I mean, they hit, and boom, and he hits the dirt. You know what he did? He got up, went after the soccer ball, and kicked it to one of the big girls on our team, and she kicked it in for a goal. And I thought about that. And I called him over once, once it was his turn to get out, and I said, I said, Luke... Remember when you got knocked down out there? Yeah. I said, I want to let you know I'm proud of you. And you did a good job when you didn't let that keep you from going for the soccer ball. I said, you remember that and never, ever give up. I looked at his faith. You can tell when you've told, especially a little boy, something that kind of like boosts their little man ego. He kind of turned away and was like, like he... It kind of looked like, like an eight-year-old who was stoned there for a second. I mean, I thought he was going to turn to the crowd. Y'all want some of this? I mean, he was just... Inspired. No matter how big the enemy is, we can always remember Jesus who faced everything, even the betrayal of His own disciples. Jesus never backed down. When everyone left him, when the Romans were beating him, when the Jews were mocking him. It is not Caleb who's the point of this message. It is Jesus. Amen? 
And it's because of Jesus who did what we could never do. And that promise in the book of Philippians, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we come to that place where we fear the future, we can trust in the one who is sovereign over the future.